As you take a seat, go ahead and take out your Bibles and turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Last week, if you remember, the feeding of the 5,000 or closer to 20,000, really. Jesus walking on the water, and we're going to see the conclusion of this chapter today. And I'm uh, a couple things about it. One, there's like 50 verses So we've got a lot of ground to cover. I'm just going to keep preaching until we get to the end, all right? And and on top of that, I need to warn you, like, it's, it's a hard passage today. There are some significant truths about who Jesus is that we must grasp from this passage. And so hang on for that also as well, and hopefully this will be a wonderful time together. Uh, Four truths about Jesus from these verses. We're going to start in verse 22. The first truth that we're going to see about Jesus is this. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. Start in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Verse 23, other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, When did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. I love that. Once again, they ask him a question and he doesn't answer. (laughs) He answers, but he answers how he wants to answer. And he's like, you are, he calls him out right here. You're following me right now only because you have full bellies. As long as he provides for them physically, they stick around. But what if he doesn't give them bread anymore? I'll phrase it another way. What if he doesn't give us bread? Money. Comfort. A spouse. Health. A job. Then what? Then what? That's that's what this passage is going to lean into us on. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. The food which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal of approval. And then they said to him, what must we do? to be doing the works of God. And Jesus answered and said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. They're like, what must we do really to to do the work that God requires of us? I mean, really here's what they're getting at is, what must we do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, the only work you need to do is to believe, which is funny because that's not even a work, is it? It's open-handed. It's trust. He's like, that's the only thing that you need to do. Verse 30, so they said to him, then what sign do you do? Are you kidding me? (laughs) What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? 
Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. So, so here they're like, do something like Moses did. And what did Moses do? We see in Exodus chapter 16 that Israel was fed for 40 years in the wilderness with bread from heaven called manna, which by the way means, what is it? That's incredible. So they came out of their tents in the mornings. There where the dew lay was this honey flavored bread from heaven. And they said, what is it? And so they decided to call it that, manna. What is it? 40 years, and they're like, do that, Jesus. Yeah, feeding 20,000 people, not enough. We want you to do this. And, and look down there, look at what Jesus has said. First thing he says to him, I love this. He's like, um, it wasn't Moses, by the way. It was my father. So a little fact check right there for them. And then second, he said, my father gives you something better. What is it? True bread from heaven, the ultimate bread from heaven, which is what there in verse 33, it's him. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's saying, my father satisfied your physical hunger in the wilderness. And Jesus, Jesus gave them a taste of that, an illustration of that the day before with the feeding of the 5,000. He's like, but now something better is happening. The Father will satisfy your spiritual hunger, and he will do that through me. And what do they say in 34? Give it to us. Why? Our stomachs are growling. That's why we're hungry again. And once again, they're just not seeing the spiritual realities that Jesus is talking to. They're seeing only the physical. Look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, Jesus said to them, I am. This is one of the of many I am statements that Jesus is gonna make from here on out. He says to him, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. He won't hunger because he's eating and satisfied spiritually. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Why? Because he's drinking spiritually and is satisfied. Verse 36, but I said to you, Actually, let's stop right there. Verse 35, I think we've got to really grasp this. I am the bread of life. So what's he saying here? He just talked about manna. Jesus is saying, I am the true manna from heaven. You're like, well, what? Why does that matter? Here's why that matters. Um, we we were created hungry for God. We see that back in the first three chapters of Genesis. Man and woman, humanity created. We were meant to be, we were meant to be in relationship with God. We were meant to be rightly dependent on him. We were meant to worship him and glorify him with our lives. We were meant to be these visible representatives of an invisible God. And what happened? Our sin, our rebellion broke everything. 
And so now we're still born with this spiritual hunger in us, whether you realize that's what it is or not. The problem is, is that now we go looking to satisfy that hunger with everything that cannot ultimately provide lasting satisfaction. We look for, for meaning and fulfillment and purpose and belonging in all the wrong places. And we, we end up worshiping ourselves and our stuff and others and our, our kids and false gods and knowledge and achievement. And we try, we try to fill our own spiritual bellies. And as what we're, we're doing is we're wandering in this, in this wilderness, unable to satisfy our hunger and our thirst spiritually. But here's the good news. Jesus comes and he says, I am the bread of life. I am your nourishment. I am the satisfaction of your every spiritual need. Verse, verse 35 here, it's this, it's this interpretive key to kind of understanding the rest of this passage as we move as we move forward here, he's using physical realities again here, hunger and thirst to illustrate spiritual realities. So Jesus is the bread of life. The next truth about Jesus from this passage is this. The Father, the Father draws people to Jesus. The Father draws people to Jesus. Let's keep going now. Verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All of those that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing, that I should lose no one of all that he has given me, but I will raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Look at verse, look at verse 37. The Father gives people to Jesus. So all the Father gives to Jesus, they will come to him. But if you've been given to Jesus, that means you will believe in him. And there we see if we believe in him, we will never be cast out. He'll never Reject us. And there's, and there's more on that here in a second, but let's keep going in some of these verses. Verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? They're like, this is Jesus. Like We, we know him. He's, he's the son of Joseph. He's a man, which by the way, thanks for confirming that. He is a man. He's fully man. But they're missing the other half of that truth. He has come down from heaven. So he is also fully God. Verse 43, and Jesus answered them and he said, don't grumble among yourselves. No one 
no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. So here in verse 44, look at that. It says, the Father draws. This word means compels, or even it's the idea of pulling something towards you. And it says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The Father sovereignly does a drawing work to bring people to Jesus. Uh, Scripture teaches us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins spiritually. We are enslaved to sin. We are unable to see our need for a redeemer, and we are unable to see Jesus as that redeemer. We have no desire for him, we have no love for him, and we are incapable of rectifying our hopeless situation ourselves. But God sovereignly acts to save us. He pursues us, and not just all of us generally through the gospel, although he does that. He pursues us even individually and particularly. And he draws us to himself, and he softens our hard hearts. And we're going to see here in a couple weeks, he opens our blind eyes. And we would not come to him apart from his sovereign work in our lives. In fact, we are incapable of coming to him apart from his sovereign work in our lives. You're like, Nate, I don't like that. (laughs) I don't like what you're saying. That's a good thing I'm not saying it. He is. He's right here. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I want to tell you, The sovereignty of God and our salvation is the greatest news ever. And it is so great because we realize that none of this ultimately depends on us. Our perseverance in the faith, our security, our assurance of our salvation, it's rooted in him, not us by God's grace. Uh, This last uh, week, Uh, My family, we got to go to Holiday World. And I love amusement parks. Um, But what I've realized is amusement parks at this stage in my life, they only serve this to show me how old I am. (laughs) Because we rode on this wooden roller coaster and it shook things inside of me that are not supposed to shake. And then you know how you come to the end and you pull in And they come over the loudspeakers and they're like, welcome back. Did you enjoy your ride? And everybody cheers. I cheered, but not because I enjoyed it, because it was over. (laughs) And I'm like, from here on out, it is only metal coasters that are nice and smooth that don't require that you go to the chiropractor afterwards. And not only that, like the spinning things, I know during the ride, it's supposed to make you dizzy, but the teacups should not cause me to walk crooked for two days. 
There's something has gone horribly wrong. But there was this one ride in particular that just terrified me for some reason. And you, you sit on this bench, and there's two of you, and Corbin and I were in, were in this one together, which wasn't good because we both ended up terrified. And we're sitting in this thing, and then there's just this metal bar that comes down, and you're hanging from like a cable. And it lifts you up about 40 feet in the air, and then it just spins. You're like, sounds tame enough, right? Horrifying. For some reason. And I'm like, why? And we actually get down to the bottom, and they lower us back down. And I look down, and my knuckles are white, and I've got grooves in my hand where I've been clinging to the handlebars on this. And I'm like, why? Why was that so terrifying? And I thought about it. And I realized why. Because I had zero confidence in, in either that machine or the child that was operating it <laughs> to keep me safe from what was certain death. No confidence whatsoever in the operator or the construction of that machine. And so what did that mean? That meant, therefore, hear this. The degree to which I was able to hang on to that ride was the degree to which I would be prevented from falling to my destruction and being a puddle in the concrete below. The harder I hang on was the only chance I had. Now hear me. Why do I share this? Because it's nothing like that in our salvation. He's got us. Our salvation is guaranteed based on his faithfulness, his power, his love, his promises, and his trustworthiness. Not my ability to hang on. I hang on. I cling to him because he is clinging to me. My confidence is in him. And that is good news. Um, so many of us here probably have, probably will, maybe are right in this moment struggling with assurance of our salvation. Um, and I just want to encourage you, but this years ago, I heard a, a pastor named R.C. Sproul share these three questions. And I would, I would encourage you today, if you are struggling with your salvation, ask yourself these three questions as we go through them. The, the first question is this. Do you love Jesus perfectly? And usually the pretty quick answer to that, especially if you're someone who tends to doubt your salvation, is of course not. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> I don't love Jesus perfectly. Next question, do you love Jesus as much as you ought to love Jesus? And most of us would be quick to say, well, no. No, I can always love him more. I, always, I know I need to love him more. I want to love him more. I don't. Okay, so then the third question is this. Do you love Jesus at all? Do you love him? And when I say Jesus, I mean the biblical Jesus, not your fashioning of your own Jesus, the one we see here in the pages of Scripture, the one who we see here in 
in John chapter 6, do you love him? And if you sit there and you go, yes, yes, I do love him, then listen, Romans 5.5 is your hope. Romans 5.5 says this, God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to you. The Holy Spirit has acted in your life to show you the love of God and to kindle then in you affection and love for him. Your love for Jesus is a demonstration that God has graciously acted in your life to allow you to do that, and it is our hope. Our assurance of salvation is rooted in who we trust. The Father draws people to Jesus. The next thing we see is this. Whoever believes Jesus has eternal life. Whoever believes Jesus has eternal life. Look down at verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So wait, wait, Nate, you just said the father draws people to Jesus. And now you're saying whoever believes has eternal life? Yes, all of us are responsible for responding to Jesus in belief. And our belief is evidence that the Father has drawn you, right? I believe my decision, but that demonstrates that I've been given to Jesus by the Father. Uh, in this passage, we see the sovereignty of God and salvation and human responsibility paired together. Look back again at verse 37, where he says, all who the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. Then look down at verse 40. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. God is absolutely sovereign in salvation. He does a drawing work, a compelling work, a pulling work, and I am responsible to place my faith in him, to trust him for salvation. Nate, I'm having trouble pairing those two things together. Welcome to being human, right? It's a mystery and it's wonderful and it's beautiful. And oh, the wonder of the sovereignty of God in salvation. Let's keep going. Verse 52. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? <laughs> so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Okay, so there's that. <laughs> Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Look at this. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread 
will live forever. And notice where Jesus is saying all of these controversial things. Jesus said these things in the synagogue. There he is once again poking the bear as he taught in, in Capernaum. Okay, eat my flesh, drink my blood. What in the world? <laughs> Verse 52 shows how the Jews initially respond to this. Jews were prohibited by the law from eating meat with blood in it or drinking blood. And so they're obviously immediately like, what is he saying? But again, once again, they're rooted in merely the physical realities of this, and they're not seeing that Jesus is illustrating spiritual realities. So what is he saying here? Okay, the first thing, let's start with this. What is this not saying? Okay, First thing this passage is not saying is it's not saying that Christians are cannibals, okay? We can agree on that right now. How do we know that? Well, there's some reasons for the text, but first, there's just a practical way that we know that. Nobody picked up a fork and a knife and dug in. They didn't. When? Ever. Ever. So obviously, we've understood he didn't mean actually eat my body and drink my blood right now in this moment to have eternal life, okay? But also, from the text, looks down at verse 55. He says, my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink, ultimate food and drink, not physical. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died, not like that physical bread. This is different. This is spiritual bread. Okay, so it's not actually eat his body and drink his blood. Also what it's not, Jesus is not primarily teaching here about communion or the Lord's Supper. That doesn't come until later. Jesus institutes that at the end of his earthly ministry, and John doesn't even really cover it in, in his gospel. It hadn't happened yet. He's not speaking to that uh, but, but now where we're at in redemptive history, and we know the teaching about the Lord's Supper and Communion, we do see the connections back to the truths that Jesus is talking about here. But remember, just like he isn't telling us here to eat the physical body and drink the spiritual or the real blood of Jesus, similarly, in communion, we're not eating Jesus's body or drinking his blood physically. In communion, it's it's bread, and it's wine, or, or juice. And we celebrate and we remember in communion what this passage is teaching. And it's teaching that his broken body and his shed blood were offered in our place as our substitutionary sacrifice. And we are united with him in salvation. And we are in union as a church because of the Holy Spirit in our midst. So not cannibalistic passage <laughs> and not talking predominantly about communion and the Lord's Supper. So what is he talking about? Here's what he's talking about. This is a graphic illustration of believing in Jesus. Why is it graphic? It's graphic, obviously, because of what it's pointing to. He's talking here. He's referencing here the way in which he will accomplish our salvation, which is through his broken body and his shed blood on the cross as our perfect lamb. Why else is this talking about 
belief in this graphic picture of belief. Look, look down. Let's look at the passage. Look down at verse 47. Verse 47 says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Across John, across the gospel of John, the only way to eternal life is how? It's through belief in Jesus Christ, the son of God. And so whatever this is talking about, it must be talking about belief because that's the only way. Look back at verse uh, 35 that we talked about is kind of this, this connection to the rest of the passage. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 35 connects belief to the satisfaction of hunger and thirst spiritually. Eating and drinking, Jesus is saying, are necessary to live physically. And eating and drinking are necessary to live spiritually. We must feast on the Lord, the bread of life and the truth that he has died for our salvation for eternal life. Believe, look at verse 58 as it summarizes this. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread, whoever believes on Jesus will live forever. Fourth truth about Jesus from this passage is this. Following Jesus is hard. Following Jesus is hard. Verse 60. When many of his disciples heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Why, why is this hard? I don't think this is ultimately hard because they're worried he's telling them to actually eat his body and drink his blood. It's hard because they're actually beginning to understand what he's saying here. He's telling them that he is the only way to eternal life. Not your law, not, not your ability, not Moses will be able to save you, only Jesus. And we see this in these following verses. Keep going, verse 61. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is, is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit. They're spirit-giving, and they are life-producing. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. Jesus here is like, are you offended? Like you thought that was hard? How about this? I'm going back to heaven from where I came from. And I'm gonna do it through suffering, through crucifixion, through resurrection, and through my ascension. Your king is gonna win by losing. Oh, and there's nothing you can do to grasp this or get it on your own. It's only because it's been granted by the Father and given by the, by the Son. Like, are you offended now? 
That's still offensive today, isn't it? There's one way, and there's one way only to God. And it's through Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Never be ashamed of that message. It is the only hope for a lost world. Keep going, verse 66. Let's finish this out. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Many, many, possibly thousands that day left him. You're like, well, hold on a second. They're his disciples. Verse 37, Nate said, all the Father gives me who come to me, whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. It seems like they're cast out. They're not cast out. He did not cast them out. They leave. And they leave demonstrating that they're not truly his disciples. They leave demonstrating that they never believed in him. They were physically following Jesus, but hadn't placed their trust in him. Uh, today, we would say this probably like this. They were going to church. They were reading their Bible. They were given. They were benefiting from God's provision and his people. They were they were going through the Christian motions, but they hadn't believed. We've all known people, sadly, who've walked away. Externally, maybe they, they appeared or even claimed to be Jesus' disciples, but they walked away. Maybe when things got hard, maybe when the suffering began, Maybe when the physical bread ran out. Maybe, maybe when the world began to look better to them than Jesus. Maybe because they didn't have enough time in their lives for him. Maybe because they didn't like what he said and they didn't want to obey. I think sometimes we emphasize so much the simplicity of belief. We fail to tell people that following Jesus will be hard. Don't get me wrong. It is simple. It's simple in this. Acts 16, 31. Whoever believes in Jesus will be saved. We will be. But following him, let's just admit it together this morning, it's hard. It's difficult to obey him. It's difficult to to trust him, battling my sin every single day. It's, it's hard. Sharing the gospel with others, this, this one way to salvation, it, it's hard. Seeing sin and suffering in the world and trying to, to connect that with God's goodness and his grace, it's, it's difficult. Facing persecution for my faith, it's hard living for his glory every day. It's, it's difficult. And we have to remember that if he gives us nothing else in this life but himself, he is all that we need. And we will be spiritually satisfied in him. We gotta remember that he is worth it, that eternal life with him is worth it. We have to remember there is no other, there's no other way. He is the greatest treasure 
that we can't earn and we don't deserve. And what's super cool as we finish off this passage is this. Because Jesus knows how hard it will be to follow him, because they've just seen, his disciples have just seen so many walk away, he graciously actually leans into the 12 here. Why? So that they can take this moment and affirm what they believe. Look at verse 67. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him. He said, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered and said, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you, one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was gonna betray him. We'll see more about that later. They are beginning to grasp their spiritual desperation. They are grasping that they have no hope apart from Jesus. I think it's appropriate that we lean into ourselves this morning in the same way. Radiant? Will you go away as well? Are you ready and willing to follow Jesus no matter what? And don't give the quick answer to that question because following him will be hard. And so I think, it's appropriate, I think it's appropriate that we end in the same way that we got to begin this morning, the dedication of these parents and children who stood up here in front of you, their faith family, before the Lord and said, and said we vow to raise our children to love Jesus the best of our ability by the grace of God. And so now is our moment, and I would encourage you even to take the moment with the Lord right now to say, Lord, where will I go? You have the words of eternal life. You and you alone are the Holy One of Israel. You and you alone are our satisfaction, Lord. You, nothing in this world, no one in this world, nothing in myself can satisfy my spiritual hunger and my spiritual thirst. You, Lord, are the only way to eternal life and to you we feast spiritually. Father, you are our all-satisfying bread of life. If there's anyone here today, Lord, who maybe is just going through the, the motions, maybe is just following you externally, looking for that physical bread, Lord, and they have not yet seen that you, you are our only hope. Would you help them today to see that? Would your spirit 
pour out the love of God in them this morning? Would they place their trust in you and follow you no matter what? Father, I think about those of us here who have placed our trust in you, who are your true disciples. What a good reminder that we see in in John that this isn't just some one-time belief in you, that our lives are meant to be lived daily by faith, that we have the opportunity even now in this life, no matter what circumstances surround us, Lord, to be satisfied in you, in relationship within, with you because of you, Lord. You are our steady state. And would we cling to you because you cling to us and recognize that our, our eternal satisfaction is found only and always and ever in you. We love you in your precious name.